welcome to All His Movies, the Shia LaBeouf Podcast. This is episode 20, The Battle of Shaker Heights, from 2003. Shia watched this at 5.45 a.m. on November 12th during his marathon, an early bird special. I'm Mike Manzi. And I'm Joey Lewandowski, and this is a movie that was the end result, I guess, of the first season of Project Greenlight, that HBO show where Matt Damon and Ben Affleck were like, hey, we'll make a movie or something. It was reality. I don't know. What is it? Is it a reality show? Yeah, it was. So it was a contest show originally. The first season, they chose a writer-director to make his or her movie. And then this season, season two, they chose one writer and what happened to be a pair of directors. So they switched up the format a little, but it's basically a reality show contest about making your own movie. So it's not it's not like a competition. It's not like you and I are both on there. We're both pitching our movies separately. It's just they picked one guy, and then the whole season's about that guy? Yeah, well, they would run a contest online, and you would oh, upload okay. your scripts and your footage and all that, and so they would pick all the finalists before the season aired, and then at Sundance on episode one and two, they announced who they were going to use as their finalist for the script and for the director, oh, okay. and then the rest of the series is like a behind-the-scenes making of the movie and watching these amateur filmmakers interact with basically these guys who know what they're doing. It's pretty funny that way. This movie, and to quote you before we started recording, if you can even call it a movie, it's like 75 minutes long. It's filled with people from other things that I love. Like, obviously Shia's in this. We have Foggy Nelson from Daredevil. We have Shiri Appleby from Unreal. We have Leland Palmer from Twin Peaks. <laughs> there are more people I'm probably forgetting. Well, death is in this. Death, death from is in this. William Sadler, Oops. yep. Amy Smart. Oh yeah, Amy Smart. Shia is great in this movie, and I feel like this yeah. is another example of, like, you can see that he's going to be something special, but man, this movie, as a movie, is just awful. Yeah, I agree. It has, like, all of the major problems that indie movies have, you know, that make them unsuccessful. I feel it's just boring and borderline pretentious and not really sure what it's trying to say or what it's even about. Confusing and all over the place. I think the big problem potentially, is that the directors wanted it to be a teen drama, but Miramax wanted it to be a comedy. Hmm. And I guess because these are two no-name directors and Miramax is Miramax, they won. And apparently they showed it to test audiences and they didn't know what genre it should be. Because it is weird. Like, it's a pretty heavy movie. But then in places just like, oh, like it's a happy ending. It's hard to know what to think about this movie. Like, it's hard to tell what this movie wants you to think, what it wants you to feel. What's the mm-hmm. main through line? That Shy is basically a kid who's sort of unhappy with life. It felt like, and I don't think this is just me saying it because I'm listening to early Keanu Clubs now, which you should do. You should go to cageclub.com me or facebook.com slash cage club and listen to Keanu Club. It feels like an early Keanu movie mm-hmm. in that it's like an issue movie. Like he's yes. got a rough life at home. His dad isn't abusive to him, but he's neglectful. Instead of paying attention to his family, he's more intent with, you know, taking care of people in the neighborhood because he's a former heroin junkie. He's got this girl that he's in love with, but she's getting married. And even though in movie cliche, he's got this adorable girl that has an obvious crush on him. He doesn't get with her until the end, and he's got this bully who he's better than in every way, except the bully is stronger than him. He's quicker than the bully, he's smarter than the bully. His bully's 
dad is this like overweight teacher. It's the therapist from Office Space. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> this bully is the weirdest, lamest bully. He's just like beats Shia up. Everything about this is like cliche and just, hey, look at this kid's poor life. But in the end, it's a happy ending across the board. It doesn't feel earned in any way. Right. Yeah. I wasn't aware really of the struggle between the tone here, but it's obvious now like this should have just been straight up heavy drama. And I was definitely thinking of early Keanu stuff that after school special stuff you know when mm-hmm, mm-hmm. when his dad's an alcoholic or his friend commits suicide and they really try to play that stuff straight in Keanu Club here yeah it's just coming across very off in a way like nothing is landing there is just like the way it's shot it's shot looking like a comedy but then the things people saying are like about heroin addiction and world war ii war recreationism and stuff like that's the weird thing too is like shia is a kid in the 2000s and he's really into like war reenactment stuff there's just no way for me to kind of relate to that I guess, and that no. was really just off-putting for his character. I could just, I wasn't really like eager to follow this kid around so much. I don't know. There just seems like so much they could have dropped and made this a lot better. And I think Miramax was right in wanting to make this much more of like a straight drama. Comedy stuff just isn't landing and hitting, and it's just obvious too. It feels out of place, like the stuff with the bully and the stuff even with his friend with Foggy Nelson. Like all that stuff feels like really forced and it kind does. of just like, why is that even here? Like I really just feel like it should have focused on. Shia's troubles with his family at work and maybe falling for the wrong girl or something but like ditch I don't even understand the meaning like the battle of Shaker Heights like I ditch all this war recreationism stuff and it just felt unnecessary and there to sort of just be symbolic you know and say like oh there's a war raging on inside this kid and you're gonna see it manifested on screen through these uh, reenactments and stuff but uh, I don't know it just doesn't jive like none of it really flows and it doesn't fit it just kind of feels like amateur hour and I don't feel great saying that about this because, you know, it feels like there was a struggle involved and, you know, these guys got their shot and everyone, you know, this was their shot, but it just feels like they fumbled the ball. I don't think that we're bashing the directors because it seems like this isn't the movie that they wanted to make. But they didn't play ball either, you know what I'm saying? Like, it kind of feels weird, like, if you're given this opportunity, sure you want to produce what you have in your mind but at the same time like you should be grateful for the chance and kind of take the advice of these people like Miramax who especially through the 90s were really a force to be reckoned with and knew what they were doing Uh, Harvey Weinstein and all that you know sure sure yeah you hear stories of how he recuts movies and this and that and markets like great but you know it worked and so it just feels like they should have listened to their mentors in this case. Well, I think going back a step, you said you don't know what the, the name is about, like, why the movie's called what it is, but I think you hit on it that, okay, so on the DVD cover, if the tagline is, when you're 17, every day is war, the Shaker Heights is the town that they live in, or at least the town that, like, Foggy Nelson lives in, because Shia sort of lives on, like, the poorer suburbs, because I guess Shaker Heights is, like, a rich, ritzy town, mm-hmm. because, like, the house that Foggy Nelson lives in is gigantic. It's, the Battle of Shaker Heights is sort of like a, uh, you know, an old-timey war thing, and so so it fits in with the war reenactment. It's his internal war. It's this. It's him against the world, sort of, or him against his dad, or him against the bully, or him against himself, or him at the end against Foggy Nelson. What's frustrating about like the DVD cover, aside from that stupid tagline, is that Amy Smart is like draped over his shoulder and she's wearing like a military helmet, and it looks like it's gonna be like a wacky rom com sort of with the two of them. But we find out that she's just Foggy Nelson's older sister. And in real life, she's like 10 years older than Shia. And from the beginning of the movie, she's engaged. And Shia, of course, falls in love with her because she's beautiful. And she they share an interest in, you know, art. 
like he's sort of from the art world-ish because mm-hmm. his mom's an artist. And so they connect basically right away. Of course he's going to fall in love with her, but she's like this taken woman. But then the weirdest thing in the movie is like 45 minutes in he's hanging out with foggy and like he, he wanders away or they're drinking yeah and he wanders away right and he, he sort of stumbles into her art studio she's crying because her fiance kissed a woman at work mm-hmm. which okay the wedding is off and so she and shia kiss which blew my mind so i was like this is not okay like on multiple right, levels yeah. <laughs> and then shia comes back like five minutes later or something you know in the movie it's a couple days later or whatever in the in the story and the mom's like oh you're here like she's she's not here sorry she's getting her dress fitted for the wedding and i feel like we missed a lot of time mm-hmm. because she was at this like emotional low point the wedding is off and she kisses her little brother's friend the next time we see her or the next time we hear about her the wedding's back on and it's just wait what like i don't understand <laughs> and then i feel like the whole wedding has to be back on because they need to have that moment in the back of the limo that's like the graduate sort oh, of yeah there's no there's no reason for that but then she also says maybe the dumbest thing i've ever heard in any movie ever that's the thing it doesn't always add up kissing you made me feel something i needed to that's all it was and i was like wait what like what does that mean <laughs> Well, I think, yeah, she had to kiss another boy to know that her fiancé was the one for her. Or she needed to cheat on someone to make it even with the fiancé. It's very confusing. It feels like a lot was omitted from this movie, whether it be they didn't have the time, they didn't have the money, or they just didn't have the skill to pull a lot of it off. Not just, I don't buy Shia's infatuation. I feel like we needed a couple more scenes to pay that off. I feel like the bully stuff is way too predominant you know like you yep. spend too much time like they pull that whole fake invasion prank like no oh way my God. like that is total bs that would never happen even his relationship with foggy i was like this feels super forced because like why have them meet on the battlefield in the beginning why weren't they just friends from opposite sides of town that grew up and then went to different schools or something like there's a lot of stuff here that doesn't make sense for no reason like stuff that should have been covered and should have been sort of explained but for whatever reason it's just it's just not here like even the stuff with the girl at work where suddenly she's just like i'm giving my notice and that's like the entire scene is just her saying that one line i don't know i just don't even feel like his reversal with that girl was a payoff either it's just like okay suddenly it's like i can't have the one that's getting married so i'll just settle for the one that i used to work with but i definitely feel like a lot of connective tissue is missing here like between the lines i mean even all that stuff with his dad like it just kind of comes out of nowhere one minute you just think like he's a nice guy and he's helping homeless people and then by the end you're like what he's in the hospital because he od'd on heroin again it's just like and not only that but he took all the money from shia's college fund and spent it on heroin in this world shia is not going to college we don't know why but i guess we find out that it's because he has no money to go to college but then like foggy nelson's dad is like oh i could pull some strings and get you into dartmouth that's just like wait what no like what <laughs> like nothing about this makes sense and i think what you're saying and i'm not sure if you said it exactly this way but like the things that they focus on and the things that they don't focus on are sort of the opposite of what they should be yes the sort of what we have to read between the lines is the more interesting stuff yeah and what we what they actually show us is like okay cool like fine there's also like weird choices like shia owns that like army jeep like that's Mm -hmm. his car you know he's basically a broke kid like where did he get that money for that like that's like (laughs) a nice it's a nice enough jeep that like they're willing to use it like in the movie that they're making in the movie everything is just nothing makes any sense 
I, I got the same feeling like with the fact that their house was for sale the entire movie. Like, how would you not be able to sell that house? Like, it's a, it looked pretty awesome. And it, and I got the feeling like this movie gave me the sense that it was like a poorly adapted novel, but it isn't. Like, I almost feel like this script probably read pretty well. People were like, yeah, this feels like, you know, this could be a good indie movie because this would make a good book or something. It also just feels like, no, like you're focusing on the stuff that isn't, entertaining or that isn't as interesting as the viewer or at least us are sort of looking for you know but i definitely got that feeling that it's just like oh it feels like a bad adaptation it just feels like they told the wrong parts of the story which is understandable when it's an adaptation but when it's just like your original work it's so short like the only movie that we've done that's anywhere near this length so far was surfs up but that felt exactly per like that was i was thinking that like, after this is all done what will be easier i think for us to do as opposed to, like cage or keanu who are going to have by the time we're like all said and done or caught up like you know 80 to 90 movies, right? Mm-hmm. Here we're going to have like 30. It's going to be really easy to give a top five. And Surf's Up, I think, like, unless we get surprised, and I don't see a lot of surprises <laughs> coming the rest of the way in all his movies, like, Surf's Up is in my top five for Shia. Like, like it's probably closer to one than five. <laughs> yeah. You know, in, ter- and, like, in terms of length, like, that is exactly what that needs to be. Here, like, I don't want this movie to be two hours, but I feel like it almost has to be two hours. Mm-hmm. And maybe if it was two hours, I would like it more. No, I hear what you're saying. Like, you never kind of want a movie to be longer, but it's like, it doesn't work this way. Like, it needs to be longer, even if you have to, even if it feels insufferable. Like, it just doesn't feel like it's saying what it wants to say. And something I just remembered about watching season two of Project Greenlight is, I recall, and you can watch all of season two if you want on YouTube. So how many seasons? Was the newest one, was that just season two? The newest one is season four, so there were three Wait, which, did, what season was this? Was this two? This is season two. Yeah. So I did they make a movie in season one or no? Yeah, they made it. They made all the movies. I remember season three was this horror movie called Feast, I believe, which was kind of cool. Came out, turned out to be pretty good. The guy who does one of the piranhas, I forget his first name, but uh, his dad is a pretty famous horror guy. Uh, uh, he directed. It. I thought it turned out pretty well. The third one. But the one thing I do remember vividly from this is post production. These guys, I remember seeing them struggling in the editing bay, and at one point they even. Even brought in Shia to do a voiceover and the producer was like what the fuck are you guys doing we're not gonna do like this doesn't need a voiceover like you have to figure out a way to make this work and it doesn't seem like they really got there so oh, I just boy. wanted to bring that up I think that probably just it being overwhelming probably and them being two directors it couldn't have helped they probably had a lot of a lot more conflict than they might have been counting on between vision and things but yeah it just seems like behind the scenes there was a lot of problems going on too what I feel like the same thing would probably happen here, and this is coming from someone who watches very little reality TV and has never seen a minute of Project Greenlight, making a movie with the world's eyes on you or having a documentary crew basically follow you around on your first film is like trying to fall in love on The Bachelor. (laughs) Yeah. It's not the ideal circumstance to do that in. Okay, maybe it could happen and maybe you can find true love in six weeks or whatever that's filmed over. Or maybe you can make a really good movie where the entire world is looking at you and you have Matt Damon and Ben Affleck like telling you what to do and you have like producers who are like you're just rookie filmmakers and we know more than you and maybe 
in spite of all of that, you can put together a good movie, or you can find the love of your life. But more often than not, like, the show, like Project Greenlight or The Bachelor or whatever, that's being mined for entertainment value, and it's not there to actually, like, you know, create relationships Mm -hmm. or to create a great movie. It's probably a great opportunity, especially to get to work with people that you probably grew up admiring in Matt Damon, Ben Affleck, or whatever, you know? know? But, like, Mm -hmm. ah, man, I I, I know why people would want to do it, but, like, at the end of the day, like, you, you don't want to do that, I don't think. Yeah, no, yeah, I don't think I'd be very comfortable doing that. But, I mean, it, the, the other thing, too, is that it almost feels like the show is more focused on the show as opposed to the movie. And by that, I mean, you know, it wants to create and portray conflict for entertainment's sake. And technically, it's the show first that's going to air on HBO and everything. So I just feel like they're more dedicated to Project Greenlight itself as opposed to the final product in a way. Not that they don't want to make their movie and make a good movie, but I think that when the at the end of the day it's more interesting for them if the show project greenlight is good and controversial as opposed to like this movie we turned out being like a big hit or anything or making their money back i do not envy anybody involved in this show (laughs) or the movie What's also weird, I feel, about the movie, because this is was, this was never in theaters, right? Like, this was basically made for TV, or was it... I think the idea would be that it would get a very limited theatrical run, okay. sort of like a New York, Los Angeles release for two weekends or something, and then, yeah, it would be straight to HBO. what's weird about it is, like, the, the weird fluctuations in tone. Like, maybe that's, like, the genre thing coming back to play. There's scenes where, like, everybody seems to be, like, cursing and really angry, and, like, we're going for, like, a hard R, and then most of the rest of the movie is sort of like bordering on PG you know like it's it's <laughs> yeah. it's hard to find consistency throughout in terms of like the MPAA or like who this is for. It's, it's just it's strange yeah the tone is all over the place really and scene by scene it, like you just said like it shifts drastically it's like okay now it is that hard-hitting family drama but then the next scene is like wait what are they, are they going for like a 16 candles kind of thing in this scene and it's jarring when there's no sort of leeway between scenes and you're just going from polar opposites emotionally and stuff it i don't know but like the one thing i will say you know i want to give this some good remark and i think it all goes to shia quite honestly like believe it or not like this is one of those moments where i was like this is something that cage kind of does is like shia doesn't really save the movie but it's worth finishing to see what he's up to you know like i was right right interested in what he was doing and i wanted to see this through the end because i felt like shia was captivating and doing his job or like at least he's the one coming through best here for me you know it's hard to kind of (laughs) polish any part of this movie but i think shia is is like it's saving grace and it's sort of i mean this is going to be the last in terms of going backwards from new to old or if you're if you're in real chronological order this is the first one but this is the last leading role of Shia's in like an adult film like I think it'll probably be like the leading role in a couple more movies that we're going to watch but they're aimed at kids mm. like the only other adult movies that we have left Charlie's Angels or Dumb and Dumber Dumb and Dumberer he's not going to be the star this is sort of a, a sort of like a, a farewell to, to leading man Shia kind mm. of in terms of that it's great to see that he's really good in this but just also a bummer that like the rest of the thing around him is just not great yeah totally agree but I also now understand what Spielberg sees or what other producers have seen where they like see this movie and be like well this movie stinks but that kid's great or like that kid needs to be in more stuff or like get me that kid it's kind of interesting and we were sort of mentioned like as we go back are there going to be any sort of 
sparks of the future in any of his past performances and definitely here i see him developing stuff here that he's going to whip out as sam in transformers or disturbia or even you know in constantine like i feel him trying stuff out and testing his range i felt like i made a note while watching this movie that like something he did reminded me of another performance and i can't find that note now but i agree with you that like there's like a charm and there's a way oh what 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 it was was shia hitting on women way out of his league Oh, yeah. <laughs> he's handsome enough. He's a movie star, but he's always kind of going to be, at least in this point in his career, that awkward. Like, he almost, like, he's a leading man with the looks of, like, you know, the quirky best friend, sort of. That doesn't stop him from hitting on Amy Smart and kissing her, from getting with Megan Fox and then Rosie Huntington. What You know what I mean? It's just, like, yeah. he's always with the beautiful woman and, like, get it, Shia. Like, go after the hottest woman in the movie just because that's what, he, you know, I, I feel like, you know, that's obviously written in, but it's, it's funny to think about, like, you know, we talked about Cage with all these beautiful women or whatever. It's funny to think of Shia like, no, like, let me let me have, like, a, a romantic subplot with Amy Smart, like, because I want to I kiss her in this. You know, it's just like, yeah. in a movie where he's the lead and there's a beautiful girl somewhere, like, they're going to get together at some point. Glad to see even from the beginning, even from 2003, that was the case. It's funny that just made me think of like uh the zach efron podcast that when zeph is like getting turned down by beautiful women and you're just like <laughs> what that's impossible that'll never right. happen and mm-hmm. like here's kind of not the opposite but you got this average looking guy which shy he's not ugly but he's average you know right uh, he just looks like a normal like one of our friends or something he exudes this confidence and charm that almost makes me feel like he's channeling like will smith or something at times it's just like he knows what he's capable of even though he shouldn't be able to pull it off it's hard to explain but he's got like a certain charming factor that i think like he could talk a woman into going with him you know and he just wouldn't give up and he's kind of tenacious that way with his characters there's some notes i have about the behind the scenes sort of thing uh shia learned how to speak german like in the beginning of the movie he and all those other german soldiers took like the reenactment soldiers they Mm -hmm. all took german lessons because they are they are all speaking german this might have been the first time unless i'm forgetting something that shia is speaking another language i don't know if he spoke any german in fury i can't recall but yeah, I, I think, don't think so. I don't think I feel, so. I feel but, like that was the, en- the that was the enemy's language. Yeah, but I think they needed to know how to say like, "Do you want to borrow chocolate or something?" That's true. <laughs> uh, yeah. Shia learned how to drive a stick shift for this film. Emil Hirsch was offered the role that Shia was in, but he passed on the role. I don't know if the casting, how much of the casting was chronicled on project greenlight i'm sure that there was a a decent amount of it but emile hirsch was offered that role Liv tyler was offered the role of amy smart but she said no and then the william sadler role billy bob thornton was offered the part but was unavailable bill paxton turned it down gary cole accepted it i think and then realized or no he was offered the part but he couldn't fit in the schedule Christopher McDonald accepted the role, but then couldn't fit it into his schedule. Christopher Lloyd was offered the role, and then turned it down to do a different thing instead. Jesus. And then William Sadler finally came on board, I think, real, real last minute. He only had an hour with Shia, the actor, before their big emotional scene. And so it just seems like that part in particular was like this cursed, who's going to play it? And it's not the most important role, but like it's one of the most important roles in the movie. And to basically go through all these actors, and they're all saying no, or like, I can't do it, finally being able to get on board just very very last minute that's not good yeah no not at all i mean there there feels like a gap in their relationship you know i mean maybe it works for the movie that they don't really 
know each other anymore, but I didn't pick up on any of that. I feel like, yeah, you needed to really work on that relationship and performance to sell it. And it, uh, man, that's too bad. I just they don't didn't have time with that one. It's funny you mentioned Bill Paxton though, because he's going to direct Shia in the greatest game ever played. So it would have been there funny to see him play his dad in this movie and then later be directed by him. I don't have anything else to say about this movie. Do you? I have one okay. last note that just kept bothering me throughout the entire movie. I was like, why is this happening? What is going on here? And then I actually found an answer to it. So I don't know if you noticed how much blockbuster video stuff oh, is in yep. this movie. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's everywhere. And I was like, what is going on with this? Like, why did this happen? And apparently the vice president of marketing for Blockbuster was involved in season two of Project Greenlight. I of guess he was, a, he was a money man or a backer or something. And his name was Kurt Andrews and he's all over the show and stuff. So uh, it's just bizarre that Blockbuster isn't even around anymore. And yet here they were trying to finance movies back in the early 2000s. It's pretty funny. Everything else that is wrong with this movie, now you got all this Blockbuster merchandise like plastered all over it. Yep. What I will say about this movie is that when I checked the time and I was like, oh god, I'm only 38 minutes into this movie, I was like, wait, that's halfway through. Like, this movie is so <laughs> short that, like, I'm halfway through the movie. You know, with the credits or without the credits or whatever, it's like an hour 12 or an hour 13, so, like, don't watch this movie, but if you have to watch this movie, it's short. Maybe just watch and just, like, fast forward until Shia's on screen. I mean, but probably probably just don't watch it. Yeah, probably just don't watch it. I mean, the only interest I could see anyone having from this is sort of, like, did The Bachelor stay with his fiance, right? So, like, you want to watch this to see what movie did the TV show about making right. a movie end up making? You know, what is their child? Like, uh, like that oh, is, like, the oh, only okay. intriguing... Yeah, and then after, you're like, ooh, that's, like, an ugly baby. For all things, all his movies, you can go to cageclub.me or facebook.com slash cageclub. See the episodes that we've already done, see what's coming up next, which is Charlie's Angels Full Throttle. Listen to the other shows on the network. Lots of fun, free things for you to listen to. I'm Joey Lewandowski. And I'm Mike Manzi. And we'll see you next time on All His Movies. Really, there's just there's just so many layers of imaginistic symbolism in here that I wouldn't even feel comfortable summing it all up. All right. It's this reoccurring dream I have of a mermaid riding a rocket ship. A rocket ship? How? Well, she's riding in side saddle. She's a mermaid. She's got a fishtail, for Christ's sake.